0: Welcome to another episode of the Tom Shimmer Podcast. Happy Monday, everyone. Thanks for listening in again this week. And as always, a big welcome to any new listeners joining in for the first time. Your listening and subscribing to the podcast, of course, means a lot. And I really do appreciate it. And if you feel up to spreading the word, if you like what you hear, spreading the word on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or wherever, I would appreciate that too. Now, before we get going today, I just want to send some love to our friends and listeners in Texas. While... The weather has gone back to normal. We know the damage done due to last week's weather is far from fixed. So I just wanted to open by saying that our thoughts are with you, and we know it's not just Texas. So many places that aren't used to dealing with that kind of winter weather are really struggling at this point. The folks from one of the school districts in Arkansas that I'm currently working with were telling me last week about how challenging things were for their city crews when trying to keep roads clear and all that that entails. So it's tough at the best of times when you're used to this kind of weather, uh, Never mind not being used to it at all. So to all who've been impacted uh, by last week's uh, storms and all of that, let me just say that we all hope for a speedy return to normalcy in terms of the necessary repairs uh, to infrastructure and all that's needed uh, to bring life back to some semblance of normalcy. Uh, today, I am excited to have Trevor McKenzie joining me for the interview. Uh, We talk about inquiry-based learning and how to empower student voice within their own learning. In an assessment corner uh, this week, I'm going to focus on the four potential directions and two potential dimensions of student self-reflection, giving you eight possibilities for creating more meaningful student self-reflection experiences. So that's today's plan. Let's get to it. My conversation with Trevor McKenzie is coming up in a few moments, but first, don't at me. But I want to open this week by defending EduSpeak. Now, admittedly, I'm a little salty this week because I, for one, am tired of the level of cynicism with which some inside our profession direct toward meaningful educational concepts. I saw a few references this past week to EduSpeak that were clearly an attempt at humor, uh, a lame attempt in my opinion. And I think this kind of dialogue within our profession is more harmful than helpful. Now, let me get a couple of things out of the way right off the bat. One, I am not referring to those times where we're speaking to those outside the profession. When we speak to parents, business leaders, or community members, we need to simplify concepts we're explaining to them. I get that. Your lawyer does that for you. Your doctor does that for you. Your mechanic does that for you. So I'm not talking about the public interface. And I will admit, too that education is filled with an array of acronyms that mean the same thing. So I've been advocating for years, uh, tongue planted, firmly in cheek, I've been advocating that we need a global conference on terminology. So, you know, I'm picturing a conference with delegates from every country around the world where we finally come to some agreement about what we're going to label things. You'd see someone, you know, up front with a gavel, getting up in front of the delegates and and saying, okay, next item on the agenda – When we plan for students receiving special services, are we calling that an IEP, an IPP, a PEP? What are we calling that? Any other submissions? No? Okay, let's vote. I'm sort of picturing that we can all get on the same page, right? At least then we could talk to each other. I find myself often having to clarify what different acronyms and terminology means in different schools and districts that I work with, uh, just trying to get on the same page with them. What I'm salty about is those inside our profession who, A, insist on dumbing down the language of our profession, and B, use labels like buzzword to dismiss concepts altogether. And I can hear people now, you know, oh yeah, here come another buzzword during a staff meeting or something like that. What I find especially disheartening and quite demeaning to our profession, and truthfully it makes my blood boil, are these buzzword bingo cards that float around about education. I've had it. Am I taking this too seriously? Probably. Do I need to lighten up a little bit and have a little fun? Maybe. You know, I'd be open to that. I get it. But I think there's a massive difference between laughing with the profession and making fun of the profession. It's a cheap laugh at the expense of our profession. And when those buzzword bingo cards end up on your Pinterest page or your Twitter feed, you've taken the family business public. And as Michael Corleone said to Fredo after their meeting in Las Vegas with Mo Green, don't ever take sides against the family. But here's my question. Are we or are we not a profession? Are we or are we not a serious profession that has important and technical processes as well as its own language? Can you imagine a group of lawyers sitting around and talking to one another and one of them asks, hey, what do you think your client's going to do? Well, I think he's eventually going to succumb to providing an affidavit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Tone it down with all the legal speak. Can't you just say he's going to give you a statement about the events of that day? What's with all the fancy talk? You see doctors sitting around doing that? Yeah, me neither. With their patients and clients? Sure. But here's what really makes me salty. Now, I get that there may be buzzwords that get a little annoying and overused. You know, words like, Circle back or tipping point or push the envelope or mission driven or something like that. I get that. But listen, if you've got another way to express those points, then I'm all ears. I'm in on it. Like, let me know. I mean, I could say circle back. That's two words. Or I could, in order to just shield myself from someone's cynicism, I could say, we're going to talk about this now and also a little later or also during another meeting. You know, 16 words. But sure, you know, it's a buzzword. But here is what really gets me salty. Super salty, if you will. When I looked at a few of those educational buzzword bingo cards, they included terms like growth mindset, 21st century skills, standards-based, rubrics, rigor, aligning curriculum, formative assessment, PLCs, Data informed, unpacked standards. Seriously? Can those things be reduced to buzzwords and execution? Sure. But whose fault is that? The idea that any educator would take research validated, sound educational ideas or practices and reduce them to some bingo card is astonishing to me. We're educators. If certain terminology eludes us, for whatever reason, then wouldn't we advocate for learning what they mean and understanding what that expression is? Yes, if you're new to the profession or an idea is new, then sure, it has to be simplified. But simplifying important ideas is one thing. It's quite another to reduce them to buzzwords because you might not understand them or be able to implement them. There are exactly zero positive connotations to the term buzzword. Do you know what the other name for buzzword bingo is? Bullshit bingo. Sound positive and fun to you? Education is hard. Whether you're a teacher, a principal, you work at central office, this work is hard. And yes, we need to let off some steam and have some fun. As the kids say, I'm here for it. But if inside this profession, we don't respect the profession, then don't complain that those outside the profession don't either. Don't complain that the public doesn't see us as professionals if we don't treat the profession professionally. You might think it clever, or you might think I'm wrong or overreacting. Maybe. Maybe that's true. Maybe I do need to lighten up. Maybe it's just one of those days. Or maybe I respect how challenging this job is. Maybe I respect how important this work is to the future of the students we serve. Maybe I have too much respect for the researchers that help guide us toward the most favorable practices that maximize student achievement. Respect for our profession begins, and I'm going to borrow a phrase from the title of a book I wrote, respect for our profession begins inside out. They wouldn't be buzzwords if you knew what they meant. They wouldn't be buzzwords if you actually implemented them with some level of integrity and fidelity. Sometimes to let off steam, we need to laugh. We need to joke. We need to laugh about the work, joke about the work. It's too hard not to. But don't make the work the brunt of the joke. That's not funny, and that's not clever. Cheap jokes at the expense of our profession might be the highest level of disrespect you could show to the vast majority of teachers who have committed their professional lives to ensuring students have the opportunity to maximize their potential. Teaching is not what we do. Teaching is who we are. Any jokes at the expense of the profession are jokes at the expense of the people. And I am definitely not here for that. Joining me today for the interview is Trevor McKenzie. Trevor is a teacher in the Greater Victoria School District in Victoria, BC, Canada. And of course, I'm excited because Trevor is a fellow BC educator, so another one on the podcast Uh, Trevor is also the author of two books, uh, Inquiry Mindset, uh, nurturing the dreams, wonders and curiosities of our youngest learners, as well as dive into inquiry, uh, amplifying learning and empowering student voice. Uh, Trevor is also a keynote speaker. He's an inquiry consultant who has worked in schools quite literally throughout the world. Uh, So I'm excited to have Trevor on the podcast today. So Trevor, welcome to the Tom Schumer Podcast.
1: Thanks, Tom. It's great to be here. Welcome to my home. I'm in your home. This feels awfully (laughs) kind of intimate. And uh, thanks for inviting me to connect as a fellow BC educator. Much appreciated Been looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's great to connect with you. And I know that the topic of inquiry-based learning is one that is a hot topic today. It's not a new idea, but it's something that I wanna dive into. We've got a lot to talk about today, so we're gonna get right to it, uh, Trevor. And I wanna start with the question of why now? Inquiry-based learning is an idea that, as I said, is not new. Uh, you can trace inquiry-based learning all the way back to John Dewey and his whole notion that education begins and really should prioritize the curiosity of the learner. So why do you think now is the time that inquiry-based learning has gained so much traction and gained so much attention over the last decade?
1: Yeah, that's a powerful question, a good question. I I couldn't agree more. You know, inquiry-based learning has been around for generations, decades. You know, I I feel like at times I'm truly standing on the shoulders of giants, and this work has made a resurgence in educational landscapes in the last 15 years. Absolutely. I think my work is evidence of that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's for a number of reasons. I think one reason is undeniably the, the things that we have access to now. And, and we've heard this before, it's not mm-hmm. what you know, it's what you do with what you know. Right. And, and content, although content and curriculum is really important, um, I remember when I started my career here in British Columbia, we had something called the, the prescribed learning outcomes, which were really mm-hmm. content specific standards. It, mm-hmm. In my teaching area, I had, I think 150 content standards. And right. now in our redesign curriculum, we, we have a handful of standards mm-hmm. and we have more competencies, more skills, um, ways of showing our, our learning and our understanding and mm-hmm. I think it's in part because of what we have access to now in our pockets and what our students have access to in our pockets so I think technology is really forcing educational systems to rethink how we spend time with kids mm-hmm. and I also think that you know organizations and districts around the world are really or have been really unpacking what an over standardized curricula and assessment practice has done to the well-being mm-hmm. of our learners and, yeah. and that's a big push, Tom, forgive me, but I think it's a really accurate one. I mm-hmm. think, um, you know, providing opportunities for students to explore relevance and authenticity and really be involved in the learning as an active participant in the learning, a, a co-designer mm-hmm. or a co-constructor, as you will. And that's inquiry language. Yeah. That's language right. I truly believe in. But I right. think that that's a big piece as well as that, you know, teachers and, and districts and organizations are really thinking about does a learner-centered learning experience really look like and feel like and how could our curriculum be something that's a little bit less standardized and a little bit more malleable um, mm-hmm. and that's a big notion but i think those are two of the the reasons why i'm seeing inquiry being more on on the topic or in the discourse of education around the world
0: yeah i you know it's so it's interesting because you you we we now have this ubiquitous access to information and on the one hand some of our colleagues would cling to practices of the past and really emphasize content but but i think the point of doing something with the content you know here in bc we have the curricular competencies the curricular competencies are where the cognitive complexity lies but there is no substance to them they they need the content for Absolutely. you to do the thinking right yeah. Yeah. and so i think what i'm hearing you say and 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 you know affirm this or or correct me if i'm wrong is that with the access to knowledge we are able to really Empower students to go deeper with their thinking and and be able to really go to the places where we once wanted to go to, but we may not have had the means to go there because we we had to make sure that knowledge was was, was that knowledge bucket was filled, if you will. And now, the knowledge is accessible, and therefore, it's the doing something with the knowledge. Is that is that sort of why yeah, you think ab- absolutely, agrees? absolutely?
1: Yeah. And you know, I, I look for opportunities. Well, a, a big question I ask of myself and I ask of teachers around the world is. What will be the the legacy of a child's schooling, and, and that's a mm-hmm. big question, Tom. But right. the content is important. As you said, the content is kind of the vehicle for some of those skills to be flexed or or to be nurtured and and sharpened over time. But Mm -hmm. really, it it, it, it is those skills, those competencies, those dispositions Mm -hmm. or habits of mind that Mm -hmm. will transcend a student's schooling, that will get them through university and and will be Mm -hmm. things that they rely on throughout their lives. And so really, I I think inquiry is a, a fantastic pedagogical framework, for Mm -hmm. us to do both for us to explore content in a really relevant authentic way meanwhile flexing some of those competencies some of those skills that students need to acquire to be successful with taking on agency over learning it's not a one without the other it is a beautiful weaving of both and and those competencies as you've referenced are so important you know what will be a child's legacy or our legacy of a child's time with us in, in our classrooms in our schools mm-hmm. and the content is is part of it it's yeah. not the only part anymore it definitely right. is a focus on these skills these understandings that allow the content the knowledge to be applied in in what i think to be deeper ways more meaningful ways right. more authentic ways absolutely yeah.
0: Yeah, it, it it was an unfortunate somewhere along the way here in British Columbia there was some some messages that got mixed or I think you know in that game of telephone where messages get <laughs> shortened and efficiency because somewhere along the way teachers and I think probably more so high school teachers started to get the message wrongly that knowledge doesn't matter anymore and I think that the pivot is it's a repurposing of knowledge as a means the way Cassandra Nicole and I write about it and listeners you've heard me reference this before we talk about knowledge now being the means to the end not the end result but we use content and we use knowledge and it's repurposed to do the deeper thinking to do the extensions and all of that so I love I love the fact that that you talk about it in that way because I think that's the the way that we can still say that knowledge matters you have to know things like I say to people all the time in order to think critically you have to think about something yeah. so that yeah. something is the, is the knowledge. Now, Trevor, you've, you've written that, uh, you said, quote, you've written, adopting an inquiry-based learning approach in your classroom has been the most meaningful change you have ever made in your teaching. So first, I want to ask you a precursor to that question. How do you define inquiry-based learning and why do you say that change has been so meaningful?
1: That's a big question. Uh, You know, the the first half of that question alone requires some unpacking. Um, You know, inquiry-based learning, uh, it's of the constructivist view, the constructivist theory. And and I suppose that what that means is that teaching from an inquiry stance means I I have certain values and beliefs in, in what the time I spend with kids will look like and feel like. What is that experience? Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the constructivist, constructivist theory proposes that students aren't empty vessels that come into our classrooms ready to be filled up with knowledge, uh, they mm-hmm. come in with rich prior knowledge experience story narrative, and I really valuing leveraging that getting to know that I tell my students all the time I'm really interested in your interests. I'm really interested in your learning. I, I often hold up a notebook. I have a notebook here in front of me, Tom. I may be taking yep. notes on, on you during our podcast today. But <laughs> I, I doubt I tell it, kids but we'll that see. I'm really, <laughs> I tell kids that I'm really interested in learning from them to be a, a more effective teacher. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, that that constructivist view really proposes that we are partners with students, right. you know, an underpinning of the inquiry model is that we, we co-design with students, we co-construct with students. Mm-hmm. I definitely have plans on where I'd like to go. I have a vision, the, the greater vision of the curriculum of which I have a really intimate understanding of. So mm-hmm. much so that it allows me to be agile within that curriculum to listen to my students, their interests, their goals, their curiosities, maybe even manufacture some of those curiosities through the use of some really intentional lesson design to right. spark the wonderment that, that is the entry point to our curriculum. So, you know, inquiry it, it has layers to it. it, has dynamics, definitely has yeah. certain values and experiences. I, I really value thinking. Tom, Mm -hmm. I I value my students' thinking. I value protocols and frameworks that I could roll out in my classroom to to have the thinking bubble up, not just to inform my next steps, but for students to understand their thinking themselves better and to inform their next steps. Again, there's that reference to the partnership and learning. So, um, those are a few of the things that I think inquiry teachers believe in. Um, that, that's an ongoing conversation. We could talk about that at length. You know, I, I think some of the most meaningful things I've seen from my, my, my growth as a practitioner. You know, it should be noted, Tom, I, I haven't always been an inquiry teacher. Yeah. I, I didn't experience inquiry a, as a learner in, in my schooling here in British Columbia. I I heard of constructivism, you know, when I wasn't sleeping through class in university. (laughs) So I I had some amazing professors who uh, at the University of Victoria who were very, very informed and very good, but I never heard of inquiry-based learning. And to be honest, I learned about inquiry in part through my students. And what I mean by that is I started to ask them some big guiding questions about their interests and their goals, um, their wonderings, their curiosities. And I really... Showed interest in that. And I used what I was hearing to really shape my teaching to guide my Mm -hmm. next steps. And slowly I started to look more broadly at this school of thinking. You know, I had an amazing teacher librarian who pushed me some fantastic resources. Mm -hmm. And slowly over time, I've discovered this language of inquiry um, and some of the values that I really um, appreciate in terms of the experience with students. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, students report out feelings of uh, control over learning calm and ease and confidence in learning. Um, you know, that that control over is so important. As we know, the growing adolescent mind, it, it they're, they're craving control over things, agency over things, right. risk-taking. Like, how do we create the learning experience so that all of those things can be honored within... Our classrooms and within our curriculum and to me that's right. been inquiry-based learning you know if you've read either of my books i know you have but this is for I the have. audience you, yeah. you hear those student stories you hear mm-hmm. the student voice sharing the impact it's had on their lives and their learning you know you and i have a lot in common around assessment and and sometimes you know i i stand next to a student as we co-assess something and, and, you know, the assessment has had such a negative impact on their sense of self over the years, right. that to be a partner in learning, um, it's almost like they're seeing themselves through a different light. And, and right. that's an amazing opportunity for us as educators to be able to give that experience to students in assessment and in inquiry. So um, really, you know, my students have taught me a lot about myself as a teacher, a lot about inquiry and what I truly value mm-hmm. in terms of how I'm spending time with students, because even the right. smallest thing could have a a lasting impact on a student's learning and sense of self, right?
0: Well, there's, there's no, I mean, you're, listen, Trevor, you're, you're preaching to the choir here. (laughs) Uh, When, when we, you know, when we talk about assessment and, and again, I always reference the, the assessment framework that Cassandra and Nicole and I have developed through our work, we put hope and efficacy and achievement at the center of the assessment experience and, and making sure that assessment, the culture around assessment is one where we build the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel, the hope that I can see where I'm going and the efficacy is that deep belief that I can get there. And so changing the culture around assessment is so critical because assessment has, as you say, always been something that really struck fear into students, right? So the, the, the grand question we ask audiences and participants and teachers all the time is, is assessment something that students fear or do they see it as an opportunity, as an opportunity that helps them continue their journey as a learner. And so I think the, the inquiry model can really sort of change that dynamic. And and speaking of change, the inquiry model, obviously, as, as you found it meaningful, the, the role of the teacher has to change in this model. So, you know, the, the vast majority of teachers, I don't know a teacher that's not busy. So the, it's not a question of how busy you are. Yeah. So now we come along and we say, okay, how about you start thinking about taking an inquiry based approach yeah. to learning and they're saying, where am I going to find the time. So my question to you is, what are some things teachers really do have to stop doing in order to make room and to redistribute their minutes in a way that allows them to implement some of the, the, the processes that you advocate for?
1: Yeah, you know, I- inquiry, it's not a project. Inquiry isn't a, an assignment. Inquiry isn't a, a worksheet. Um, and there's nothing wrong with those things. That's not what I'm implying. But right. inquiry is, is a stance. It, it is. It is. It is how we teach. You know, Mm -hmm. I I often hear from teachers, like, I've got enough on my plate, I can't put more on my plate. And, and the misconception is that inquiry is being put on the plate, but inquiry is the bloody plate. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. this is how we plan. And this is how we design. And this is how we consider the learner experience. Mm -hmm. It is the plate. And definitely, it's a reframing somewhat of time. Absolutely. You know, some of what um, I value in terms of how I spend time with kids, it looks a lot different than it used to earlier in my career. You know, mm-hmm. the, the first thing my principal said to me when I got my first continuing contract was, you know, do you, do you need anything for your classroom? Can, can we invest in something in your classroom? You know what I asked for? I asked for a lecture stand. I asked for one of those nice podiums that I could stand behind. Yeah. And it kind of pangs my heart now that that's what I wanted, <laughs> right? Like I wanted to be the focal point. Oh, and, yeah. and I really do value having students come together. I do this a lot with teachers and, and kids. I say, come together, turn and face, turn and talk. And right. I facilitate the time together. And I, mm-hmm. it's a different framework. It's a different experience. But time, time begins to be something that's a little bit more fluid. It's not like my lesson is structured in these minutes where I transition now and I transition now. It becomes a little bit more fluid in terms of how I interact with students in the room, how they interact with each other, how we're mm-hmm. constantly reflecting on our learning to guide right. next steps. You know, one thing I'd right. love to ask students is show me with your fingers how many more minutes you need right now in your group. You need right. two minutes, one minute. What? I always have one student who does this. I need all of this. <laughs> Give me all of this. Just as a joke, but it's so yeah. important to recognize that time becomes a little bit more fluid. Um and it's not like I'm I'm asking teachers to put on more to their plate. It's a reimagining of what we have in our curriculum it's a reimagining of where in our curriculum tom do we see opportunities to provide more student agency more voice Mm -hmm. and choice more decision making and where in our curriculum would some teacher direction and leadership and and kind of us taking the reins Mm -hmm. really come into play and and underpinning all of that is that there's a gradual release of responsibility over learning from the teacher to the student and we're nurturing the conditions For that to be a successful transition part of which is of course the competencies we were talking about earlier like are we scaffolding coaching modeling those competencies so so our students can flex them when they're taking on more agency over learning so Mm -hmm. i would say that's a that's a big piece is to understand that continuum that gradual release of responsibility over learning and reimagining our curriculum through the lens of more of a continuum a spectrum of agency if you will
0: yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I, I love that idea that it is the plate because uh, it is really kind of, you know, we don't do inquiry-based learning. That's what we are. That's our culture. That's the way we learn. Uh, that's how we explore our curiosities. I, I, I just absolutely love that. Um, you know, one of the ideas that I found quite intriguing, and I think Listeners, we're going to get to the different models, because I think, you know, you still some of you might still be feeling a little overwhelmed by what do you mean by agency. So I think, you know, I'm going to ask you in a moment to talk about the four types of inquiry and how we can how we can begin to build that into our practices so that you can't build the plate overnight. So we're going to have to see how we do that. But one of the intriguing ideas I found in, in your book was that you begin each course. And I and I love this. Um, you begin each course by challenging your students to help you co-design the curriculum uh, for the year. And, and like I said, I love the idea of I challenge them, not I'm requiring you, but I'm challenging you to help me redesign that. I love that. So what does that look like? What to yeah, help us yeah, understand how that plays yeah. out?
1: In, initially, it looked really messy. <laughs> you know, the first <laughs> time I did this, it was it was it was and I write about this and in dive into inquiry. It was probably the yeah. hardest couple of days of my career. Because as it was messy, you know what I wanted to do? I just wanted to take control. I wanted to pull mm-hmm. back the freedom and say, this isn't working out. And mm-hmm. it, it actually started out because as most teachers do, we create a course syllabus at the high school level. And that's the first thing we give our kids when they walk into our classrooms at the start of learning. And, and I had done that one particular year. And, and these kids were coming in kind of you know, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And, mm-hmm. and I hadn't gotten to know them. I knew nothing about them. Mm-hmm. I hadn't asked them any questions and I designed this, uh, what I thought was an amazing course, but it was completely <laughs> void of student voice. Yeah. And quite literally, I, I pushed those photocopies into the recycling bin and mm-hmm. I challenged them because it is a challenge, Tom. It's a challenge for me. It's yeah. also a challenge for our kids because when we're requiring them to take on a different role in learning, to take on more of the heavy lifting and learning. We mm-hmm. have to scaffold. We have to be empathetic and we have to focus on those competencies that are going to help mm-hmm. them to be successful with that different role of learning. Right. So- what that looks like now is um, on the first day of school, I share with them some of my values as a constructivist teacher, as an inquiry teacher. I tell them I, I believe that they have rich experience and knowledge that we're gonna access, that they're gonna be partners in learning, that this learning experience may be a little bit different and that they're gonna be doing more of the heavy lifting of the learning and yeah. that I have their back, I'm in their corner. You know, I, I really value your wellness just as much as I value my own wellness mm-hmm. and we're, we're gonna be in this together. And I tell them that, you know, there's a lot of must do and must know in our curriculum. There's some things we got to do and we got to know, but the rest is kind of up to you. The rest, we can build this course together. So just again, I say, let's turn and face in groups of three. And I want you to spill out your ideas based on some guiding questions I'm going to share with you and spill your ideas on the page. And then as this is happening, I walk through the room and I make connections. I I, I time out. This group over here is saying this. Does anybody else have that on theirs? And yeah. slowly, what we're doing is we're creating a master doc, a master right. kind of syllabus. Some right. of the guiding questions I ask my students are things like, oh, this is a, I love this one. If you could show me your learning in any way, how would you like to show me what you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's fascinating. You know, some students will go with the traditional things that they think belong in an English class, they'll say essay right. or a PowerPoint presentation or. Uh, you know, a, a, a formal, you know, public speaking presentation at the front of the room. Um, and, and when I begin to show them some of the artifacts that students have created in the past, it begins to paint the landscape of what the mm-hmm. opportunity could look like. You know, just mm-hmm. two weeks ago, I had a student in my New Media 10 class turn it, turn in a VR assignment as, as a result of that question. If you wow. could show me what you know in any way, how would you like to show me what you know? And why did he choose that, Tom? He chose it because it was an interest of his uh, a deep interest he has a skill set there that he wants to flex and demonstrate and right. and he's saying that i could be successful in this mm-hmm. I, this is something that i believe in doing this I'll be able to communicate my understanding in a way that is better than some of the other things that I could be doing. And so that's one of those guiding questions. And there are many. This would be something that as an inquiry teacher working with teachers interested in inquiry, we would would plan together. What are the guiding questions that we could Mm -hmm. ask our kids to facilitate the thinking that will in turn guide our next steps together? and include their voice as part of the learning experience. Yeah. So, you know, that, that that initial experience of co-designing the syllabus was messy. It was right. hard. It was probably harder because it wasn't super messy. It was because I wasn't sure what I was doing. And it right. was really hard on me in terms of this different role. And mm-hmm. now it's, it's a very different practice. In fact, ironically, Tom, just this morning, my vice principal, fantastic VP, asked me, you know, if I came up to your class today, would I see your course syllabus on the wall? Because that's yeah. something I propose as we co- co-design it, and it's up on the wall. And right. I said, it's actually not up there this year because we had created a culture of learning where that step wasn't necessary. Yeah, so it, it, we're, we're just constantly responsive to mm-hmm. uh, facilitating the talk and the thinking to guide our next steps and sometimes yeah. what I plan to have happen isn't necessary. Because the evidence I've witnessed is enough for us to move forward. Does right. that make sense to you?
0: It it does. It's yeah. it's it's embracing the messiness and being responsive to the learners. And some structures and protocols are necessary to help guide the process. And at some point, they they become unnecessary because the culture has emerged that we, we're just adaptable and flexible. And I think listeners, if you you know paying close attention to your response there, Trevor, I think what many would appreciate is not there are some must-dos and there are Absolutely. some must-knows and you don't try to flex everything but you take advantage of the opportunities where where it presents itself and 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 slowly expand that work as opposed to thinking that everything is going to be yeah. you know an inquiry model I, I think that that can ease especially for those who are new to the process that can ease some of the stress i think yeah. it feels like for many teachers how do i get started is a big a big question for them so let's talk about um, another thing I really appreciated, because I think when you, when you think about an inquiry-based learning model, I think a lot of people think about, you know, the, the nth degree, which is the, the free inquiry, right? And I don't, I don't think people pay enough attention sometimes in some places to the necessary steps in order to build that habit. So one of the things I really appreciated about your book was, was the four types of, of student inquiry and how you sort of purposefully lead them through um, those those processes. So let's highlight the four types, uh, beginning with structured. So you start with a structured in, inquiry. What does that look like?
1: Yeah, well, for, first and foremost, you, you you raise a really important point for us to unpack, which is that, you know, a common misconception of the inquiry model is that it's only free inquiry. Right. And many teachers I work with, they're unfamiliar with the, the fact that there are four types, and right. that to get to free inquiry, it, it's actually quite helpful to to uh, plan for some scaffolding, yep. plan for more of a teacher directed inquiry to get to more of a student directed inquiry. So unpacking some of those misconceptions, it, it really sure. is important, and and understanding that free inquiry it, it it doesn't have to be the place you get to. You know, if you don't get okay. to free inquiry, it doesn't mean you you've done it poorly. Right. It, you know, there's there's a, a lot of agency there, but right. really we are constantly reflective and mindful of where our students at and where we want to right. go to next. And if we can't so get that, there-
0: Does that have to do with their readiness? Are you kind of reading their level of readiness to move to that next level? Even oh, absolutely. You a... and, oh, and I'll okay.
1: take that one further is that they are reflecting on their readiness, right? right. Like competencies aren't something I know the most about or I'm observant right. of their competencies. Competencies yeah. are something that the kiddos know a lot about. Like they're visual mm-hmm. in our classroom. We point to them often. We reflect on them. You know, yeah. I time out and I say, kids, right now, the critical thinking competency is being flexed. It, mm-hmm. You know it, right? How, wh- how right. do you know it? What does it look like? What does it sound like? Right. What does it feel like? Right. Capture some evidence right now. So we have that as part of your ongoing portfolio of learning. And, yeah. you know, we, I ask them to set personalized learning goals to those competencies. Each student chooses one competency that they're mm-hmm. going to focus on sharpening throughout our time together that I call on them to reflect on. So I have a really good understanding of where they're at and where they need to go to next. But in in my mind, that's not good enough. Like I I can be the assessment expert in the room. I want to raise the water level of assessment expertise amongst my students in the room. And they have to be included in that process in order for that to occur. As you know, in assessment, we'll go back to assessment ever so briefly. Like Mm -hmm. who's, who's doing the assessing? Is is it me or the kiddos? And I'm the expert. But I want to I involve them more to, to connect them to their learning, to truly take on some of that ownership over learning. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, you know, definitely I'm mindful of when they're ready to transition through those types. You know, you reference the structured inquiry type. That is, and it would be great. I'm not going to challenge you with your editing skills, but you, you could bring <laughs> up the swimming pool graphic in this podcast if you wanted sure, to.
0: Sure, But,
1: you know, um, imagine a swimming pool, friends, where we have differing depths across the pool from the shallow end to the deeper end. Free inquiry would be the deepest end where kids right. have developed those competencies and understandings to be successful with that type of agency over learning where they could choose a topic, resources, research, and a demonstration of understanding that is more their decision than the teachers. There's some space right. there to take on that agency over learning, but mm-hmm. we don't start there. We don't kick our kids into the deep end. We start in the structured. So in my classroom, that looks like one overarching question that we're all going to explore together. In British Columbia, it's tied to our big ideas and our redesign right. curriculum. Um, right. Oftentimes I encourage teachers to think of their curriculum through the conceptual lens. And mm-hmm. so that question should be framing a, a, a concept And then I'm typically choosing the resources that will use to deepen our understanding of that question. I'm really scaffolding the evidencing, what I'm asking students to do to scaffold into more of the formal assessment towards the end of that unit. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I'm choosing that must do. Why? Because... Right. Part of our time together is must do and must know. So again, reimagining our curriculum across a spectrum of agency and gradual release of responsibility. Where in my curriculum would that type of structure and teacher direction really, really work? And then right. where in our curriculum would some student agency thrive with regards to some voice and choice? Right. Right. Um, does that ring true to you? Does it, I, I'm not yeah. sure. Did that Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So you've got structured. Now, how does you you then you talk about controlling? Inquiry, right? So what's the difference? How would you articulate the difference between once you move from structured to controlled, that means there's a little more student agency, a little more voice and choice. So where does that manifest?
1: Yeah, so in the nitty-gritty, um, I'm still choosing the concept of which we're going to explore. And, and in this case, I, I often present five questions that are all tied to that same concept. I like okay. to call them ungoogleable questions, you know, the stuff that requires <laughs> us to unpack it right. over time. Right. And, and so students look for personal relevance in one of those five questions. I've mm-hmm. still come to the table with a lot of preparation. You know, I, mm-hmm. I manifested those questions weeks ago. Um, I'm really intimate with those five questions. I know them really well. So Mm -hmm. I can anticipate, well, what are the resources that students are going to need to explore those five questions? And what we begin to see in the classroom is a little bit of potting, a little bit of clusters of those questions where they can connect and collaborate and flex those competencies together. So this is the first layer of students beginning to find more of a personal relevance in Mm -hmm. the planning together. Definitely, I provide them some choice over the resources, right? Like they're not all doing the same stuff now, Um, Mm -hmm. And then there may be a little bit of choice, even with regards to the evidencing and the demonstration of understanding, There's still some must do and must know, but definitely some more responsibility on the learner with regards to voice and choice. You know, a big question I've asked myself a lot in my career is how much evidence is enough? You know, when we talk about must do, how many pieces of evidence do I need to garner before I feel like, okay, I've got enough. It used to be like, Thirty pieces of evidence and now I'm much more comfortable with fewer rich pieces of evidence so then I could provide more space for voice and choice I think that's something listeners can kind of consider is as an English teacher I used to take in 30 literary analysis essays and I was marking them painstakingly I was killing myself (laughs) <laughs> and, and now I, I mark fewer, I, yeah. I, and and part because my formative, my evidencing is so much stronger. Right. The student voice and understanding throughout the process to get to that summative is so much clearer and concise mm-hmm. that I, I don't feel like I need to do the 30. Maybe I right. do five, and right. that provides me more space throughout the year where I don't mm-hmm. feel like, again, the must-dos are so mm-hmm. many. I yeah. really question how much evidence is enough evidence, and that's a big right. one.
0: I think that's a really great point because, you know, we often in assessment talk about the difference between the number of tasks you might have a student do and what represents an adequate sampling of the learning. And the idea of adequate sampling is, again, as you just articulated, how many times, how many times would I need to see a student do this before I can make a fairly accurate and precise judgment about where they are in their learning? That's a very different question than how many times I'm going to make you do it. And then they take it to the to the one step further, which is what you described, which is I'm doing it 30 times, which is way over the top. Okay, so we've got, we've got now we've moved our students to the controlled inquiry yeah. model. Next comes the guided. So again, let's contrast controlled and guided inquiry. What's so that look guided,
1: like? Yeah, typically I, I present a, a, a concept, a, a big idea and now i walk my students through a, a process of questioning where they're going to formulate their own ungoogleable question mm-hmm. that is connected to that concept undeniably okay. their question belongs in our curriculum like it's not like it's all of a sudden outside of the, right. the, the, the <laughs> ecosystem of our learning yeah. you know because i've chosen the concept there's a lot of alignment there that this begs the question about questioning are we flexing that competency across time so that in the structured and controlled they're slowly sharpening that skill so that they can ask a big question. You know, I often reference this book and I'll pull it aside. I yeah. love this book, Make Just One Change by yeah. Dan Rossian and Lou Santenitz. It's called the question formulation technique. Mm-hmm. And then the QFT is a questioning protocol that we could use in our practice with students to have right. them become more competent questioners. So mm-hmm. throughout the structured and controlled, they're slowly flexing that competency so that they can ask, A meaningful question based on the concept I've provided. Um, Then they start to have a little bit more agency in the evidencing and definitely in the demonstration of understanding. This is where I start to get some of the VR things or the video game things or Mm -hmm. the performative. Definitely there still may be some must do's in there. You know, as an English teacher, I I want to continue to see some writing samples. Absolutely. But Mm -hmm. the writing samples are now through the vein of such student relevance and authenticity right. and i'm mm-hmm. sure you see this all the time in your assessment work when it's authentic and relevant to the learner achievement goes up yeah. right it's yeah. not it's not a, a you know wizardry it's not like i'm i'm you know the wizard of oz you know manifesting everything <laughs> it's because right. students are genuinely tied to mm-hmm. the questions and the research yeah. that they they are yeah. they are doing so yeah. um, i've never had a student craft a question and guided that doesn't belong in our curriculum. And partly it's because of the scaffolding. You know, if right. I started and guided, I anticipate I would have a lot more problems. You know, students would okay. feel anxious, overwhelmed, uncertain about learning. Right. They they wouldn't have those strong competencies that we've been sharpening and flexing throughout our time together. Right. Um, so the right. scaffolding that we're talking about is is yeah. really, really important, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love that. Building the habit, right? Uh, I, I, you know, and I and I'm just envisioning the question that you're not hearing from students is. Why do I need to know this? Because <laughs> yeah. they need to know it because it was driving their question. And yeah. it's the information that yeah. leads to that. So you're, you're talking about that relevance I and got, motivation. I got to tell
1: you, you know, I had students once, we were kind of debating inquiry. It was so cool. Yeah. When I started this journey with my students a long time ago, one student yeah. put up her, their hand and she said, "You know, I'm not really sure this is for me because I tend to procrastinate. I Mm -hmm. tend to leave things to the last minute. And when you talk about agency, if I'm given some choice, I'm probably going to leave it till Sunday night and try to get it all done in the last minute. And another student put up their hand in class and they said, you won't do that because it would be so meaningful and relevant to you that you'll just be finding yourself doing it when you don't think you're doing it. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, that is the answer. And and that is quite true. I always have a few students who struggle with productivity, struggle with accountability. Um, I think that's natural with adolescents. I think sure. I have fewer students now in the inquiry model than I did previously in Trevor McKenzie 1.0. And yeah. so that's something for, for teachers to consider is um, how could achievement increase when students discover personal relevance? Right. And, and how does productivity and accountability really manifest when it's driven by the student and it's not something the teacher's constantly on the kiddos for? It's definitely coming from the student.
0: Right, and, and again, it's still responsible to the curriculum. It's still responsible to the learning but there's so much opportunity there's so much uh, like you say agency there's so much opportunity for students to be that active participant in their own education i would imagine that over the course of the years there are fewer students but you probably have had earlier those students to say eh, you know what mr mckenzie just tell me what i need to do
1: Absolutely. just
0: tell me just just give it to me i don't really yeah. want to you know i don't want the agency uh, but i would imagine that once they experience it you're 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 winning them over so to speak and i don't mean to you no, know no, reduce, it, reduce no. it to this idea of selling them on an idea yeah. but once you experience it I would imagine the students are, are well, yeah real, you, you, raise really point, you, you raise a really good point
1: Tom you raise a really good point forgive me for interrupting but no the, oh, the, no it's the, fine the, 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 the thing that surfaces to me when I hear that statement from kids you know tell me what I should do tell me what I should know if I could be a little bit pokey for a second I, and mm. I'd poke the fact that I think you know we've really nurtured conditions where students can be complacent in learning You know, we've created hoops for kids to jump through. And when we ask them questions around authenticity, curiosity, wonderment, we've Mm -hmm. kind of stifled that out of them through many of their educational experiences. And and I think that's, again, why Inquiry is making a resurgence currently is because, Mm that's not good enough anymore. Jumping through hoops. I agree. Those aren't the employable kids that we want leading right. us into solving the problems mm-hmm. of tomorrow, right? We yeah. want students who have those competencies developed who mm-hmm. can can tackle a, a project head on and it's mm-hmm. not going to happen by kicking them into the deep end. It's going to happen because we nurture the conditions for them to take on agency over learning. So when, right. when a student says that I welcome it because it tells me that I am breaking down some of those systems in yeah. my brief time I have with kids. Um, I am making a difference and I'm open up their experience to be something a little bit different than they've encountered in the past
0: well, we have to take some responsibility for that because they come to us in kindergarten as a clean slate and they've been taught and conditioned that school is about completion and about you know task Absolutely. completion and about getting it done and and it's an interesting you know dichotomy that we create on the one hand we lament the fact that Students only care about their marks or students are passive and, and don't yeah. want to take more active role in their learning. And yet we create the conditions where their marks and grades and scores are the result of Absolutely. getting it done and completing the task and not really demonstrating high levels of thinking. Now, a free inquiry, of course, we've touched on a little bit, and that is can uh, just briefly contrasting guided to free inquiry we're going to come back to some of the specific components of free inquiry in a moment but but just contrasting again um how open is open how op- how yeah. free is free if you will yeah
1: well no i i think uh free inquiry should be housed in our curriculum you know a physics yeah. free inquiry should belong in the physics curriculum right. you know and, and a math inquiry should be maths focused And and that really begs the question, do our students know the curriculum well enough to examine it and explore it and choose Mm -hmm. something in it that is relevant to them? Have we scaffolded accordingly? I referenced Mm -hmm. the Wizard of Oz analogy, right? There's, we really need to pull the curtain back on the standards on the curriculum. And, you know, it's kind of like Scouts or Brownies where they have the sash, right? And they, you know, I've done Mm -hmm. my critical thinking badge, I've done my collaboration badge, I've done my identity concept badge, right, you know, right. at this point I want students to be able to look at the whole curriculum and, and find, okay, what am I going to piece together here that is going to allow me to really find fulfillment in learning, uh, mm-hmm. really showcase my skill set. you know, really showcase of all the things we've done this year, what do I want want to lift up and say, this is what I'm most proud of. This is what right. really reflects who I am as a learner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it really begs the question, are we pulling the curtain back on our curriculum? It goes back right. to scaffolding, right? It right. goes back to, you know, do our students know the standards, the competencies, the content mm-hmm. standards from the get go and slowly keeping those transparent throughout our time together. This is where they have it's not unabashed voice and choice there's a there's structures and frameworks put in place so students can be successful in that voice and choice right. such as i'm sure we're going to talk about momentarily what some of those yeah. structures look like right. but it's it's not a free-for-all my, my colleague rebecca bath something likes to say uh, it's not a hot mess express right and i love that <laughs> it, it shouldn't be it should yeah. i want my students to feel confident about learning calm in learning a little bit of stress is nice but calm in mm-hmm. learning and yeah. and in control and, and that's right. something I ask my students, I try to ask them it daily, if not weekly, how are you feeling about yourself as a learner? And if mm. I hear something that doesn't settle right with me, I've got to do something different to support them differently. You know, if they tell right. me they're feeling overwhelmed, if they tell me they're feeling lost, if they tell me they're feeling anxious, that's really, really um, something I, I need to act upon. I need to pivot right. and I need to support that student in a different way. So yeah. in free inquiry, it shouldn't be overwhelming. It, it would right. be overwhelming if we kicked our kids into the deep end. They right. will feel anxious. And And I made that mistake early on in my career. I had an amazing mm-hmm. experience with a student in free inquiry that made me want to kind of mimic that experience with every student. Like, Let's go there. That was amazing. And students really floundered, you know, a lot of them really felt unclear about what this looks like. And and that's where the scaffolding really became sharper for me in Mm -hmm. in terms of long-term, this is the plate. This isn't the thing I do at the end of the year. This is how we uh, develop agency over learning.
0: Right. Yeah. It it strikes me as a, uh, again, a kind of internal uh, dichotomy that people manufacture when they don't really have to, the two can marry one another in the sense that free and free inquiry still has structure and discipline to it. There's still a kind of predictability around the routine, even though you have agency much the same way that you would say that music is something that is incredibly creative. And yet there is still structure and discipline to make, to making music. If, 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 if it's just a a hot mess express, I love that. That was really good. Uh, If, if you have a hot mess express, the, the, the music isn't going to sound right. So the, the idea that free just means, you know, Lord of the flies, if you will. Yeah. It's not really about that. I, I, I really love it. So let's, let's stick with the uh, free inquiry for a moment, because a couple of the concepts I, I really found interesting and intriguing. One was the proposal and the other was the pitch. And, uh, and so what's in the proposal? And I think you've kind of answered this, but I, yeah. I want to get a full articulation of it. What's in the proposal and why do they have to pitch you their inquiry?
1: Yeah, so this is a big one, Tom. I appreciate us unpacking the plan and the pitch, the proposal and the pitch. Um, you know, Dragons Den. I'm sure Canadians will will know what I what what, what Dragons Den is all about. Yeah. Americans, shark tank for the we're Americans. talking Shark Tank, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and so I I've designed a, just a six step process where students plan their free inquiry their they they're learning for for a span of time, and I ask them some really important questions that will allow us to identify if the learning is meaningful and authentic to them. Um, Do they have that overarching ungoogleable question? Will they be successful? You know, we want our students, like don't we want all of our students to be successful? Like, why would I set up my students for failure? You know, Mm -hmm. I I want them to be successful. And so I look for, is this manageable? I ask Mm -hmm. them to to show me their plan, quite literally a calendar at times where they are planning out steps Mm -hmm. across a span of time. Um, I, I asked them to tell me about their research plans. You know, I really love, and, you know, during the COVID era, this is a little bit different, absolutely, but I really love sure. lifting up learning to a public audience, you know, inviting mm-hmm. stakeholders, other students, family, people mm-hmm. from our community uh, to look at the learning. So typically it, the, the end of our free inquiry or inquiry experience will result in some mm-hmm. kind of a gala, some kind of a sharing. And so right. I, wanna, I want them to tell me, well, what are you going to do in terms of that showcase and and then eventually once students have planned out using this six-step framework of guiding questions once i've seen them and supported them we Mm -hmm. sit down one-on-one for the pitch and and it it quite is it's a beautiful student-led conference i love conferring with kids you know having little opportunities to talk reflect guide next steps um, it's how I write report cards. I, I write report cards with students, sitting with them, conferring with them. And this mm-hmm. pitch process really reflects that value of conferring with, with students. Right. Um, and, and they walk me through their six-step plan I ask mm-hmm. them some questions, just as you have been doing with me here. You know, yeah. my, my Oprah, my Tom. Um, you know, when things, it, when you hear things, you, you you go to certain places, and right. and essentially, I, I'm I'm looking to give them a thumbs up or a go back to the drawing board a little bit and come back. Mm-hmm. You know, this framework is not just something for the most competent grade twelve students. This is something that we see being done at varying levels across every grade level. Um, right. You know, any student can sit down, given the structure to talk about their learning and talk about their next steps. You know, the gallery would look different. The research would look different. The question would look different. Absolutely, the details look different. But the framework of which we utilize is the same across age level, across grade level. Um, right. in, in conferring with kids, I would say maybe 85, 90% of the time they get a thumbs up. And, and yeah. sometimes students have to go back and do some tweaks and right. then come back and, and show me a different thing. Um, you know, the students who are totally not ready for that type of agency, that's okay. You know, we differentiate. I sit with them and we do something more along the guided line, more along, okay, let's facilitate, let me take more of the control over learning here so you can be successful. Right. Um, some students want to be ready for free. Um, some students need some more nurturing, some more support. And that's mm-hmm. okay. I think teachers should hear that um, we are responsive to what happens in the pitch. And if students can't get there yet um, that doesn't mean that they won't get there eventually Um, just because their time with us is arbitrarily ending at the end of a semester at the end of june doesn't mean they won't grasp this agency at some point in their future and what we've uh kind of rolled out in terms of supporting agency will have a dramatic impact when they do apply it when they're ready um so that's a little bit of what the plan and pitch process looks like and then of course they get going on following their plan, right? Like mm-hmm. the subsequent days and weeks are following that pa- plan, me continuing to confer, mm-hmm. differentiate. You know, sometimes I see little clusters form where I can do little mini lessons. Okay, I'm seeing mm-hmm. five kids over here needing support with research and and maybe finding yeah. a resource. Let's come together. Let me show you this database. Let me walk you through keyword search terms. Right. Um, so you begin to differentiate based on the evidence of which is bubbling up before you. Right.
0: I wanna pick up on something you said there be, uh, earlier in your response, which was uh, any grade level. Um, you know, you, you have been very vocal and have written about the fact that your dream educational model would have, ex- would have students experiencing inquiry from kindergarten through 12th grade. So I can hear the skeptics. And so I'm gonna articulate on behalf of the skeptics and say, okay, Trevor, look, uh, we get that inquiry learning is a favorable model. Uh, but seriously, kindergarten, Um, don't, don't kindergarten students just need to learn the basics. And besides, listen, they're five years old. Isn't it a bit of a stretch to think that five and six-year-olds can engage in inquiry? So I, I can hear the skeptics saying that to you. I know that's not the first time you've had that question. Yeah. So how do you respond when somebody pushes back and says, come on, Trevor, kindergarten, are you serious?
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that, because when you were when you're speaking through the question, I thought the skeptics were going to be at the high school level. <laughs> and and, and it, partly it's because, you know, so many of these competencies are so kind of um, inherent at, at the younger years. Like you, okay. you said earlier, our, our kids walk into school innately curious. Like mm-hmm. all those questions they're asking. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, the, you, the, the, the life is the inquiry. Like here in Victoria, it snowed last weekend, right? Yeah. And yeah. You, you saw on Friday on Instagram and on Twitter all the teachers sharing photos of their kids flooding the windows, right? Like, it's snowing, yeah. everybody to the window. You know, the, the, the learning that is relevant for a kindy student, for a grade one student, a, a younger student, mm-hmm. it's all around them. The wonderment is just bubbling up. Mm-hmm. You know, our job is to, have that lead into the curriculum, have that lead into those skills that we know are so important at the younger years, not just competencies, but literacy and numeracy. How do we welcome those wonderings and those curiosities so they enter into opportunities for us to scaffold those skills of literacy and Mm numeracy. You know, uh, Kath Murdoch, a fantastic educator that I deeply admire out of Australia, tells a beautiful story, which she was um, observing a teacher in a younger classroom, grade one. And and when Kath comes to visit your class, you put on your best dog and pony show, right? It's like, (laughs) I I want Kath to be proud. I, I want her to see that I've learned all of her tips and tricks. And, mm-hmm. and, and Kath was observing, as we do in our work, we observe teachers teach and we give them feedback, we, we unpack what they had done. And Kath was observing the teacher roll out this beautiful lesson. And, mm. and quit pretty quickly, she, she didn't have the kids, the kids were, were out the window. And she was doing that teacher thing where it was like, look at me, look at me, I'm up here, this is my yeah. lesson. And yeah. the kids were staring out the window. And the teacher had a look out the window, and she noticed what the kids were observing. At the other end of the soccer pitch, there was a construction crew. They were about to wrecking ball a house. They were about to demolish a house. And the teacher did the most beautiful thing. She dropped everything. She said, kids, Mm -hmm. grab your clipboards. Grab your magnifying glasses. We're going to go out and get, get inquisitive. And they marched across the field, and they sat on the fence. And she asked them a, a beautiful thinking routine, another book beside me here. I love Ron Richard's work, The Power of Making Thinking Visible is yeah, his most recent yeah, publication. Yeah, yeah. But a, a thinking routine that, that this teacher asked was, what do you notice? On your clipboard, write down as many things as you notice. Draw what you see. Talk to mm-hmm. a friend beside you. What do you notice? Yeah. And for 10 minutes, they documented, evidence, all this noticing. And then the teacher said, what do you wonder? What are you curious about? tell me what you want to know more about if i could walk over there and get the foreman to come over what would you want me to ask him mm-hmm. and they gathered all this evidence and then the final question in the thinking routine is what do you know what what do you yeah. know is happening what's your prior knowledge what do you know yeah. is happening there right. and and then she actually walked over brought uh, invited the foreman over and asked the kids to ask the foreman all these questions it actually led into an entire unit of literacy and numeracy Mm -hmm. through the lens of what was happening in this partnership with the construction crew over the coming months. And, and that, that goes to show you a number of things. It goes to show you the power of the pivot, right? The teacher pivoted. Oh, your curiosity is there. That's not a distraction. That's, that's the Velcro to learning. It it goes to show you that the curriculum can be quite malleable if we view it as such, you know, I had this great plan but then I saw this thing and, and the curriculum can be actually, the literacy and numeracy can actually be out, out there. Right. I think that the, the, the knack is that experience wasn't manufactured. It kind of just happened. How right. do we manufacture the conditions where students are curious and wondrous? It, it happens more readily with the yeah. younger students. It, it's, they're so yeah. ripe for the picking, so to speak. I think it's a little bit more difficult in, in the high school setting when we've mentioned, you know, students become a little bit more complacent in their learning just tell me what you want to do. I'm so much more intentional in how I spark curiosity. How do I spark the authentic connection to the learning? That's something I put a lot of time into planning. Um, You know, I'm really intentional in my thinking around how that's going to go. So when you reference the question, when you were pitching, I thought we were going there and we actually went (laughs) to me, which was kind of the easier conversation to have talking about inquiry with the littles. Yeah.
0: I don't, I don't know that the, it's the student's curiosity that we have to worry about. I agree with you. I think students come to school naturally curious about the world, but I do think sometimes you know, we think about we have to teach them to read. We have to teach them the fundamentals. We have to teach them the basics. How would I make room for that? But I, I think I think you make a good point about uh, just capitalizing on that curiosity. Um, as we are pressed for time, uh, Trevor, I I want to give you a chance to, and I'm going to have you back on because I want to explore the concept of assessment. And I know that's the topic of your next book. So as a bit of a preview for our future conversation about assessment in an inquiry model, and of course, you know, assessment is near and dear to my heart. Um, what are you writing about? What are some of the big ideas around assessment? And again, listeners, we're going to, we're going to have Trevor back on, we're going to explore, we're going to take a deeper dive on assessment and inquiry model. But what are, what are some of the, if, as we finish up here, what are some of the big ideas that you're exploring in that book that's coming out in March? Am I right about that? In
1: May, in May. Oh, yeah. May, May. Yeah, okay. yeah. I'd love to come back on Tom and, and thanks for that. Um, well, we'll do that. You know, I, I think some of what I've witnessed in the schools I support around the world and, and it's just not a, a one-off similar to your supportive schools. You know, I work with schools across a span of time. um, And we begin to see some really amazing things in in inquiry. We begin to see more of that student agency rich experience, that continuum. We begin to see achievement increase, like, you know, attendance increase. Some of those formal data points are affected by the inquiry model. Um, We begin when we survey students, we begin to hear things like the learning is meaningful. I feel calm. I feel in control. I feel confident. But then when we started to ask them questions about assessment, We heard a different story. Um, You know, we we started to hear things like inquiry I feel good about, assessment scares me. Mm -hmm. Assessment is something that I feel I don't have control over. It's stressful. It causes me anxiety. And Mm -hmm. when we started to look at why that was occurring, some of the things we were seeing was assessment was being done outside of class, away from kids. You know, it was kind of Trevor McKenzie 1.0. I would take home all my evidence. And market yeah. at home, not in the learning with the kids. Right. And so we were looking for spaces where there was some misalignment in the inquiry values with the assessment practice. Okay. You know, I'm not an assessment expert, Tom. I, I will definitely throw that ball in your court. But I, <laughs> I, I, I have looked at how do we create a partnership in yeah. assessment and inquiry? How do we scaffold across the the year, our time with students, so that we can co-design and co-construct opportunities to have our students begin to do more accurate assessment throughout the year? I, I, Undeniably, I'm the assessment expert. I have 20-something years experience in the classroom. How do I raise the assessment expertise of my students in the room? That's something I'm really mindful of. If I'm mindful of competency development, raising that in the room, how do I raise the assessment Kind of water water level, if you will, in my classroom. Right. So that's something right. I've been very interested in in the last few years. and and this book was harder to write. Um, mm. for many reasons, I think Covid was one big one. it's uh, it's definitely my my most robust offering. Um, yeah. And if you're at all interested in inquiry, um, this is a nice addition to to my other two books, um, and sure. I'd love to talk more. I'd love to yep. pick your brain. Well, and we're gonna ask do you that. Some questions? So yeah, for thank sure, you for that. we're
0: gonna we're gonna do that in the future for sure. Uh, you're you're speaking my language again because I always say to to teachers I work with, listen, your development of your assessment literacy or your understanding of assessment is not for you to become an expert it is so you can develop your expertise so you can teach the students how to do this on their own behalf so that you can empower them to be self assessors to be metacognitive to think about themselves as learners so the end game is not your expertise the end game is transferring that and helping develop that in students so we we are definitely going to explore this in a future podcast so i'm i i'm looking forward to that conversation so we'll do that once the book's out and and uh, give listeners a chance to to check it out and then we'll we'll engage in that conversation okay i mean i i really have enjoyed the time has just flown by trevor i've really enjoyed this but we're going to finish uh we're going to finish with a segment i've you know sort of branded as three questions which is kind of a fun way uh to end the interview to give listeners a chance to get to know you a little bit on a personal level. So I've got three questions that I've not shared with you, uh, but I'm just going to get your response, put you on the hot seat. Nothing too intrusive. Uh, You'll be fine. And then we've got one more question to finish up. So uh, here's the first question. Sometimes the questions are a little abstract. So you take the questions where you want to take them. Here's the first question. What is your favorite sound?
1: Hmm. Hmm. Uh, It's the sound of a cup of coffee at 5am in a quiet, still world. (laughs) You know, I I had an author once come in to speak to my students. And and one of the questions was, when do you do your writing? And she said, when the world is asleep, and she gets up really early, and the electricity is dull. And uh, that's, that's my favorite sound. Yeah, Yeah,
0: that that's one of mine, too, I would say that the sound of the coffee uh, in a in a quiet kitchen, and that that anticipation, and it might be the sound, and it might be our internal anticipation of that cup of coffee. But I love that. I also love the belly laugh of an infant, you know, that that sound of Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. a belly laugh. Okay, here's the next one. Uh, What is something you know, is true, that very few people agree with you on?
1: Um, Oh, that's a tough one that very few people agree with me on. You take take my, it where I'm you want my, to take yeah, it. I'm thinking of my family and how my children disagree with me. on <laughs> Okay. Things. Let's go with that. Um. Yeah. No, no, no. You know, I, I think, uh, uh, I really believe in the effort. You know, I think, I, I think there's a lot of conversation around the world right now in terms of, uh, you know, that, the the work ethic myth, you know, don't grind yourself into a pulp and. I, yeah. I love, I love the work. Um, I truly do. I love the effort. Um, I find some calm and ease in the effort. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking athletically exercising yeah. as well. Um, yeah. you know, f- yeah. Finding, finding a, a calm and ease in the effort is really meaningful to me. And, yeah. um, yeah, that would be something that I don't know if everyone would agree on, yeah. um, but definitely something I, I, I do appreciate the effort. Yeah. I do appreciate yeah. that the work.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Again, you can take that question wherever you yeah. want to. <laughs> Mine would be, um, that chocolate peanut butter cup is the best ice cream going. Yeah, and that would be my favorite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So last one, if you were for some reason, you were forced out of education as a career, and you had to choose a new career, and let's just assume that any training you would need for a new career would be taken care of. So we're not worrying about how long it would take you to retrain or anything like that. So you're forced out of education. What What new career would you choose?
1: Yeah, uh, I'd be a writer. I'd be an author. I love writing, and okay. uh, I think back. Well, to you my kind of are history. that
0: already, Trevor. I, I know, that but like kind of feels full-time,
1: like a full <laughs> a full time author. You know, writing like you know, yeah, totally. You know, okay. and, and uh, really dreaming up those worlds and a uh, totally different genre. Thank you. Yeah, I <laughs> caught off easy on that one.
0: Yes, you did. You absolutely did. Um, But I'll let it slide if you're adding in some fiction uh, and and some story writing. That's good. Okay, one final question for you, Trevor. And this is a question I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. uh, And that is the question of success and happiness. And it is quite simply the question of if a random person stopped you on the street and asked you, what is your definition of success? How would you respond to them?
1: Yeah, easy one. And uh, I, I speak to this all the time. It's, uh, you know, find what you love doing and find a way to get paid for for doing it. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. from the outside looking in, it looks like I have a lot on the go. Like, how does Trevor do all that?
0: Mm-hmm. But I, I just
1: love everything. Nothing gets put on my plate that, I, I, that doesn't align with that. And so, right. um, yeah, find what you love doing find and find a way doing. to get paid doing it for sure.
0: Yeah. And they always say, you'll never work a day in your life, Absolutely. right? If you find you doing what you love, Absolutely, I appreciate Tom. that. Uh, Trevor, look, like I said, we're going to have you back on. Thanks for taking the time to be here today. Listeners, I really would encourage you to follow Trevor on Twitter. Uh, his Twitter handle is at Trev underscore McKenzie. And that's McKenzie, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E. Uh, for you Americans, it's yep. Z. We know that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to throw that in there. Uh, Instagram as well. Um, is handle on Instagram is at TNT McKenzie. And of course, when I say TNT McKenzie, I cannot help but think of acdc Good. so that's uh, that,
1: that's the purpose. That's exactly <laughs> the point that. absolutely
0: yeah, T uh trev's uh instagram is dynamite that's what yeah, we'll say totally, <laughs> totally um and also uh so instagram as well and also check out trevor's website uh that's www.trevormackenzie.com and you're going to find a ton of information there including how you can get in touch with trevor if you'd like to begin to explore this concept of inquiry-based learning and how you can get in touch with trevor about future workshops and conferences and uh, and opportunities to work with Trevor. So Trevor, uh, we're going to have you back on, but thanks again for joining me today.
1: Endless thanks, Tom. So much appreciated. We'll talk soon.
0: In Assessment Corner this week, I'm going to focus on student self-reflection, which of course is part of the larger picture of student self-assessment, which is part of the bigger picture around being self-regulatory about your learning. And I'm going to begin with a good news, bad news story from the perspective of my own career. First, the good news. While there is a lot that I am not proud of, when I reflect on the very early parts of my career, like the first five to seven years, especially from an assessment perspective, you know, zeros, no retesting, all of those traditional practices that I employed, there was something I did do, and that was have my students do some self-reflection. But here's the bad news. I didn't do it very often. And when I did, it was awful. It didn't really work. I didn't know what I was doing because there was no structure to it. You know, too often, the knee-jerk response to structure is, oh, Tom, I don't want structures. I don't want to limit my students or I don't want to restrict them. And we talked a little bit about that in the segment on rubrics a number of episodes ago. But I think more often than not, a structure actually brings out the best in our students and allows them to go beyond the superficial responses to really examine themselves more closely. So when engineering the opportunity for students to self-reflect, I'd like to suggest eight possibilities for you to consider. Now before you start thinking you get overwhelmed with eight possibilities, just consider that we begin with four directions. Okay, there are four directions from which students can examine themselves. They can look inside, they can look outside, they can look ahead, or they can look back, right? So there's your four directions. Now multiply those directions by two because the examination can be about their learning or the examination can be about themselves as learners. So there's your eight. Now sometimes we get locked into our particular habits of reflection and you know, depending on the nature of the activity or the focus of the experience, our go-to protocols may not always be aligned. So if we break down these four directions along those sort of two dimensions, if you will, um, we talk about uh, all eight of them as being applicable under certain circumstances. So my suggestion is to think about the nature of the activity, what you're wanting them to focus on, and then choose the kind of exercise or protocol or prompt or question that might help engineer that. So let's start with looking inside. Okay, that's the first one. And it's probably the easiest for most to envision and the easiest to engineer, and it's probably the most common. So if we're looking inside and we want the students to focus on their learning, here's where students are going to examine their strengths and their next steps to grow toward proficiency. Or it might be an acute reflection that triggers future goal setting. So we reflect now and set some goals. So then eventually when we come back to this exercise or this learning, those goals are kind of fresh and and they've been articulated when the learning was fresh in my mind. And it's always, of course, in reference to the criteria. Now, if we're looking inside, so number two, if we're looking inside, but I'm looking at the self, here's where we want students thinking metacognitively, right, so we might ask them to reflect on their learning experience, how they learned. So I could ask them a question such as, uh, think of a time during the learning when you felt stuck. How did you push past that point and what did you learn about yourself as a learner once you resolved the issue, right? So that focuses inside and the focus is on me as a learner. Now let's take the reflection outside and focus on the learning, okay? So here, for example, you might have students examine other demonstrations of learning. Like this could be an example where students have brought in projects or submitted essays or there are substantial demonstrations of learning. And you're having the students consider the other students' demonstration and consider the aspects of quality, right? So we're focused on learning. So you might ask them a question, something like this. What is something you noticed about a few of your classmates' projects or essays or whatever the demonstration was? What are some, what are some things you noticed about a few of your classmates' assignments that you wished you had incorporated into yours? Now, some coaching will be needed here, right? We're not asking them to say, what would you like to copy from what your friends did or what your classmates did? But what elements would you like to incorporate? So they might be talking about someone's effective use of color, or they might be to convey a message, or they might be talking about the way that they presented their argument in the, in the paper, uh, something like that. So we want them focused on the aspects of quality, not just what do you want to copy. But still, we want them to look to other demonstrations of learning and say, hey, that was a really clever way to do that. I'd like to incorporate something like that into my work next time. Okay, so now we're still outside, but let's focus on the self. Okay, myself as a learner. So when you're focused on the outside and the self, this is where the student is looking, again, outside themselves. It could, for example, um, you know, be a reflection on some sort of management strategy or structure. And again, I'm just trying to give some examples of what this might look like. It's not the only way you could ask these questions, but there could be a question like um, under what conditions or circumstances were you most productive? You know, so here I might be getting them to think about, you know, did they work well? Say on the weekend, did they work well in the morning or the evening or trying to focus on that? Or maybe if it was a group effort, we ask a question like, um, was there some aspect or circumstance within your collaborative work that made you feel more engaged? Uh, what made you feel less engaged with the group? You're sort of looking at that group dynamic, you know, Just kind of thinking about how did the group positively or negatively impact you, okay? So inside the learning, uh, inside the self, and then we have outside the learning and outside looking at the self, And so we go to the next one, okay? The next one is looking ahead and looking ahead at the learning. So this one is relatively straightforward, right? So I might ask a question like, when we do this again, and maybe we ask this while the learning is fresh, when we do this again, what new goal will you set for yourself or what what would you like to try to do next time, right? So rather than waiting until the next time comes around, it might be advantageous to do that forward-leaning reflection, while it's still fresh, because now it's, you know, it's where we can formulate a more specific goal. And then later, they can refresh their memories and recommit to those goals, right? So we're looking ahead, and we're thinking about the learning, um, about what's the new goal. Now, looking ahead and focusing on the self, again, we're looking at ourselves going forward. So we might ask a prompt such as, you know, going forward, if we have another project or assignment or inquiry or something like that, if we have another project... Uh, What do you think you could do to increase the depth of experience or increase your opportunity for success, right? So we're asking a question about about how that experience going forward would increase the opportunity. So how do I set myself up as a learner? Okay, now finally, we're talking about looking back. So these are the last two, looking back and starting with the learning, okay? So admittedly, this one blurs a bit with, you know, looking inside uh, and the learning, but The larger point is that, again, not all questions are applicable at all times, and we don't have to be locked into these protocols. It's just a lens through which you can examine your self-reflection prompts, right? So you might ask when looking back and starting with the learning, you might ask a question like, what prerequisite or other foundational knowledge would have made this experience, maybe it's an inquiry process, would have made this process more complete, more effective, more expansive, more relevant, more engaging. Again, you, you fill in the blank there, but what could have helped you make this a much more effective experience for you, right? So so getting them to reflect on, you know, did they cut corners or maybe, maybe they didn't explore the topic as, as deeply as they initially thought they did. And maybe they, they look back and they think, hmm, you know, I could have done a little bit more to set myself up for success. Or you might even ask something like, what other learning you know, aside from the intended learning objectives or the standards for this unit, did you experience during this process, right? So what other learning did you do? You know, by, by accident, what, what else did you learn? So it's looking back and looking at the learning. And finally, looking back and looking at the self. So I might ask a question like, if you had a chance to do this again, how would you approach it to change it? Or, or what would you do differently to prepare yourself better next time? as a learner. Uh, Yes, there is a case to be made for reflections to be more open-ended, and and I would even say do that some of the time. Uh, But I also think there is a case to be made for being a little more purposeful about the prompts to allow students to dig a little bit deeper and reflect on their experiences, right? So we have the students look inside, they can look outside, they can look ahead, or they can look back, and have them focus on their learning or focus on themselves as learners. And my advice would be consider the nature of the activity and find the best fit for that reflection phase as part of that larger picture, right, when it comes to self-assessment and the self-regulation of learning. Okay, that's it for today. A couple of announcements before we close out today. First, the two-day training for my book, Grading from the Inside Out, is going virtual again. Uh, That is happening in March. Day one will be March 16th, and day two will be March 23rd. Also, this summer, uh, I'm excited to announce that the Achieve Institute, which is an institute about promising practices and instruction, assessment, and grading, is going to be going virtual August 16th through 18th. And the nice part about virtual events is that you can participate in the event literally from anywhere in the world. And that event will feature myself, uh, Cassandra Erkins, Nicole Dimich, and Katie White, all of whom who have been guests on this podcast as well. So if you're interested in either of those events, uh, the two-day training for Grading from the Inside Out in March, or you're interested in the Achieve Institute, uh, head on over to the solutiontree.com website for details. I've also added links to both of those events in the show notes. Uh, remember to follow the podcast Twitter account for updates. That's at Tom ShimmerPod. Pod. My personal Twitter handle is at Tom Shimmer. Uh, follow Shimmer Education on Facebook, Tom Shimmer Podcast on Instagram. So, again, no shortage of social media platforms from which you can uh, connect with me. Also, please email your questions for Assessment Corner or suggestions for the podcast to tomshimmerpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out the YouTube channel as well. Uh, just search Tom Shimmer Podcast on YouTube. Next week, My guest is going to be Natalie Conway. Natalie's expertise is in the area of online learning, so that, of course, will be our focus. Please subscribe, rate, review the podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, of course, where your ratings and reviews make a big difference in getting the podcast noticed and expanding the listening audience. And, of course, if you like what you're hearing and you think others would benefit, please spread the word about the podcast to some of your colleagues or through social media. I would certainly appreciate that. Have a great week, everyone.